You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a boot camp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. Welcome to the Course Report podcast. I'm Liz Eggleston and I run Course Report. So I spend all day not only helping students choose the right coding bootcamp, but also thinking about and tracking and researching this industry at large. And one of the challenges that bootcamps face and have really taken head on is building diverse classrooms. So if you've looked at demographics research, you know that tech is woefully not diverse. And that means everything from a lack in racial to gender to cognitive diversity. But a lot of coding boot camps are actually doing really interesting things in this realm. Some around scholarshiping, others around community outreach, partnerships with local government, everything to get into these untapped communities and train people with a lot of potential, but very little access to tech. One of these boot camps is Flatiron School, and they have a lot of visibility in this industry. So my two guests today are Susan Lavaglio, who comes from a fairly non-traditional tech background, and she's now a Flatiron graduate and an iOS engineer at Spotify, like so legit. And I also invited the COO of Flatiron School, Christy Riordan, to join us and dive into this topic. Both of these women are just super inspiring. Susan spent 10 years in the Navy, and Christy, before Flatiron School, spent nine years at Gerson Learman Group, which is a platform for professional learning. So we're going to hear how Flatiron School approaches diversity in their cohorts. Uh, Susan's going to share her advice to other non-traditional boot campers. And then also, if you didn't know, Flatiron School was recently acquired by WeWork. So I'll ask Christy about how that's going to help or maybe even hurt Flatiron's mission to build diverse cohorts. Just a reminder that this podcast is available transcribed on our website, and if you subscribe to our mailing list, you'll know when this and other Course Report podcasts go live. So Susan, Christy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining. Let's dive right in. Christy, when we talk about diversity in boot camps, what are we actually referring to? Who do you see being underrepresented in tech today? Well, that's a good question. I think it's something that is being asked a lot, not just in, in boot camps, but certainly the, the tech industry at large. And you know, diversity is ultimately about the fact that people are different from each other. And so I think the real question is, what makes us different from each other? And some of this is, is obvious, things like skin color, gender, physical disabilities, but there are things that are less obvious and depend on what we choose to share, like our religious and our political beliefs and our sexual orientation, and maybe even more hidden to the naked eye, but crucial is things like where we grew up geographically and culturally, our socioeconomic background, or the values that we inherited from our families and our work experiences. And I think because of this, something that has been discussed a lot lately is, you know, do we care about racial diversity? Do we care about gender diversity? Do we care about cognitive diversity? I think that's been a big buzzword of of late. And I think the thing is that we care about all of these things and all of the things that I just mentioned, especially racial and gender diversity, are factors that ultimately create cognitive diversity, which is something that really creates a better learning environment in a boot camp and ultimately a better work environments. And I think 
the groups that are underrepresented in tech are really many of those kinds of, of characteristics, some of which are very obvious, like skin color or gender, and some of which are, are less obvious. But all of those are things that I think the boot camp industry is trying to, to increase representation of within boot camps and within the tech industry. You mentioned diversity creating a better work environment and learning environment. Could you expand on that a little bit? Why is it important, like beyond face value, to diversify tech? Is this a moral imperative or does diversity matter to a company's bottom line? Sure. So I think you've, you've identified two separate things that, that oftentimes um, can get conflated or are not necessarily separated and thought about individually. But so one's the business reason, one is social policy reason for diversity. And something that I think is, is talked about a lot is, is research that shows in a business environment, if we have more women on boards, in ownership of a company, in leadership teams of a company, on the teams themselves when in a company, we get better results. And women are one important element of the representation of diversity in a team. And I think it's because it gets back to cognitive diversity. These visible things help us understand when we have diversity on our team that is going to come up with different ideas, different thoughts, will challenge the decisions that are being made within an organization so that you can get to a better result, build a better product, and go to market in a smarter way so that ultimately you achieve better results. We see the same thing in a learning environment. When we have different kinds of people come together, we see really magical and special results that, that happen educationally. The, the second thing that you talked about, you referred to it as sort of a moral imperative, but I think it's the social policy reason. And when we look at the future of work, tech holds so much promise for where economic mobility will be found. And we have to find a way to create a greater participation across society in all these underrepresented groups, uh, just for the purpose of, of stability within society. Right. So that makes sense. So there are visible types of diversity, and those are characteristics that companies can see and set goals around. But that actually leads to cognitive diversity, which is what we're actually looking for in a work environment or in a learning environment or even in the tech industry in general. Mm-hmm. So we know that coding boot camps are maybe surprisingly, maybe not more diverse than the average tech company or even a computer science degree program. Um, in the research that Course Report does, we find that 38% of boot camp grads are women uh, compared to a CS classroom. That's insane. Uh, I think there's still a lot more that we can do when it comes to racial diversity. But what do you think makes coding boot camps naturally more inclusive than universities? Is there something specific? I think there's a few things. I think it's definitely cultural. Things begin with the right kind of culture. And, and I can't speak to other boot camps, but certainly at Flatiron School, we fundamentally believe in better outcomes through diversity. What I was just talking about earlier, from the, the senior most people here uh, throughout the organization, people believe in it and we're motivated by seeing greater participation in this industry. So culturally, we... We care about it and we've made it a priority to attract a diverse student body. And I think that's really where everything begins. But there's a couple of advantages, I think, that boot camps have structurally over a university 
that have also allowed them to bring and attract more diverse candidates into the programs. One, they're just more accessible in, in some important ways to diverse students. And when I think about accessibility, it's, it's both about the ability to participate in a program as much as it is the ability to afford it. And when you consider lower income populations or rural residents or caregivers who are disproportionately women, you start to see some real access problems for programs that require a four-year full-time commitment, maybe a $40,000 uh, tuition fee, and not necessarily a, a clear job outcome. And, and boot camps have created a very different model that have shortened the program time commitment. They've created flexibility for caregivers in um, both online programs as well as some part-time programs for those who might need to maintain work. They've reduced the tuition costs and have really created some pretty clear job outcomes for people, giving them greater confidence to enter programs like that. And, and so these are really powerful factors for, for anyone, but especially diverse students, um, to access a program like this in, in the first place. The other thing that, that I'd just add to that structurally is that coding boot camps are really nimble. And they tend to focus on the problem and iterate really, really quickly. And that's a lot more difficult for a university to do. You know, most coding boot camp programs are 15 weeks long. They start every three weeks. We at Flatiron School will conduct student surveys at least every two weeks in person, online. We do it almost every day. So this gives us this really rapid feedback cycle like is, is done within you know, the tech ecosystem. That allows us to have an environment where we're constantly improving and changing and figuring out areas where things are working, but where areas aren't working. And universities just have a much harder time implementing change that quickly when their model is designed around a 12-month cycle. Yeah, that's super interesting because, like, of course, this begins in company culture, and then there are structural advantages that you mentioned. But what you mentioned around boot camps starting every three weeks, I think that makes boot camps even more accessible, right? You're not stuck to this rigid annual application deadline, which is really a fixture of the past. Like, that's not how people live their lives anymore. That's right. One of the things that's become so evident to me over the last few years is that the modern student is really complex. Their lives are, are complicated and they're much more varied than what we would think of you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago of what a higher ed student looks like. And so the model has to become so much more flexible to serve them than what we've historically had in higher ed. Yeah, I love that. Susan, when you were researching coding boot camps, um, in addition to you know curriculum and price and instructors, what were you looking for in the learning environment as a student? Like, did you look for a boot camp where you saw women and people like you kind of represented? Was that important? I don't think that I specifically went to um, these websites and researched looking for women, but I think subconsciously, um, when you see people that you identify with in a location being successful, you can then imagine yourself as that person and feeling that success. So when I was doing my research, while I wasn't looking for diversity specifically, I think that I found it in the program that I ended up joining um, and how they were looking specifically for diverse people. So it sort of found me. Could you tell us a little bit about Tech Talent Pipeline and the program that you did find? Sure. So when I was researching boot camps, um, cost was a huge thing because I'd just been laid off. 
from a job that I had for five years. And um, I was prepared for it, but I, I don't think I realized the cost of a career change, but I really wanted to get out of the administration field. And so when I was doing my research, I really was pricing out like a lot of places. And I remembered one of the first things I did was sign up for a mailing list, and um, which was Girl Develop It, which is a meetup group. And they have this awesome mailing list that they send out every week with tons and tons of opportunities. Sure enough, one of them was a scholarship opportunity through the city and the Tech Talent Pipeline and how they were looking for diverse candidates. And that meant so many different things to them. You know, one of the things was income, you know, and um, people from underrepresented group got front of the line privileges, you know. So being a woman, being a veteran, having all these things going for me, I got head of the line privileges. Um, so when I found the program and I got accepted, it was it was pretty surreal, but it was very like, I don't know, I, I felt as though I had landed in a pile of gold or something because they were willing to offer me so much. And in the end, I would end up with a career. So they weren't just giving me schooling. They weren't just giving me a scholarship to a college. At the end, they were saying, you're going to have a new career. Yeah, the Tech Talent Pipeline is so cool. And I love that you found it through Girl Develop It. Shout out to Girl Develop It. Uh, <laughs> so even if you found that opportunity, though, like getting into a boot camp is still difficult. And you had to do some of that on your own, right? So could you talk a little bit about how you carved that path out for yourself into Flatiron School? Before I started, I had just decided to myself that I was really going to try. I was one of those people where I wasn't a very good student. And it was always because, oh, I never really tried hard enough. And my mom used to say, you don't try hard enough all the time. And I didn't actually understand it until right before I started flying in school. And I had to make a promise to myself that I was going to try really hard and that I wasn't ever going to say no. And I was never going to say, I can't do this. And so every single day that I went to the school, I always said to myself, yes. And I always said, we can figure this out. We can do this. And it was so weird to say this inside my head all the time, you know, like, no, you can do this. You can do this because it is challenging. It is hard. And so um, and the work is it's a lot. And so when you're doing it, there are points where you feel as though you're not going to make it. You're not smart enough and you can't do it. But telling yourself that you can can get you through it. So when I was at Flatiron School, I wanted to be a part of a team. I wanted to get as much as I could from the instructors. You know, so I was really active, talking to people, asking questions, being very involved, very engaged, and I never was before in anything I'd really done. And so this was an opportunity to have a new career, which also meant that I could also decide how I was going to be and how I was going to fit in. So when I started thinking about what does it mean for me to go there, you know, the path that I ended up carving was just this new individual that was way more engaged and way more involved and um, and just put forth like 100% effort. Yeah, Susan, it's amazing that you found the opportunity not only to reinvent your career, but also like your entire approach to working. Um, and all of that was at a coding boot camp. So <laughs> very happy to hear that. Absolutely. And you know, I'm a little bit older than, than the average student. Actually, I don't know what the average student age is, but I'm older than most students, right? Like I'm midlife. So, you know, being 35 at the time and making this decision to do a career change into tech where everybody's like 22, right? And so, um, so it was a little intimidating, but I got a lot of energy and inspiration from all of the people around me. And not only that, but my class was, I think it was like 15 women and 10 men or something like that. Maybe, 
maybe tw- maybe even more than that. That's amazing. But there was a significance in the amount of women that we had in our class. And these young women, they were so driven and so, you know, inspiring that it really kept my energy level up and it kept my interest in it. And we would like huddle down with problems and solve them together. And it was just, and it was really a really nice supportive feeling to to be sitting next to someone who's like 15 years younger than me, but we're both getting at it. Well, Christy, how do you see role models being important to the success of women and people of color at Flatiron School? Susan, you were talking a little bit about role models, whether it was you know visible to you in the process or if it was subconscious in the process. I think it's easier for all of us to believe that we can do something when we see somebody who maybe looks or sounds a little bit like us and we see them being successful, whether it's Susan who was the Navy jet vet or whether it was Susan who was the you know administrative professional in, in the tech startup world or whether it's just Susan, the woman. But I hear you telling this story and I'm personally so inspired and I get so much energy about what I can do and how much I can contribute back and help other people believe they can do this too. And just sharing these stories is so amazing with every person like you that gets into the industry and shares your story, you know, five more people think that they can do it too. Cool. Wonderful. Susan, you also mentioned being a veteran and just from stalking you on LinkedIn, um, I feel like you are such a badass, Susan. You spent <laughs> Thank you. 10 years in the Navy as an aviation machinist. Can you tell us about like what you did in the Navy and if that's translated to tech easily for you? When I joined the military, I got into aviation right away and I became a jet engine mechanic. That's what an aviation machinist made actually is. So I worked on jet engines and uh, fuel systems. So I did that um, while I was on active duty and then I joined the active reserves Um, And when I joined the active reserves, there really weren't that many aircraft, so I ended up going into logistics. So I spent four, no, actually five and a half years doing aviation, and then I spent the remainder of my time working logistics, um, especially when Operation Enduring um, Freedom was going on. I served in an Army mission, and they needed people to maintain their equipment and operate their equipment, so I drove tractor trailers and forklifts and all this stuff. And... The hugest thing that translates to tech and the career change that I did and the whole situation is um, that I constantly had to, you know, put myself in a really uncomfortable situation. It's very intimidating to work on an aircraft that costs millions and millions of dollars and that flies in the air with people in it. And if you mess something up, you could potentially kill someone. So there's a huge amount of responsibility. Now, my programs aren't necessarily killing anyone if I mess them up, Right. But it's about being out of your comfort zone and knowing that you have the faith in yourself to do it. Technically speaking, we were given a lot of instruction. So while my brain is sort of mechanical and mathematical from being a mechanic, I feel as though that has helped me with tech because I think of things in an extremely logical manner. And also in the military, there's no like fluff. There's no, you know, glitter and sparkles and rainbows. Everything is logic. Does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Um, and so I have a very logical brain because of that training as well. Yeah, as an industry, I think boot camps are just starting to scale 
like how we train veterans and ex-military um, people in our country, you know, retraining them into technical roles. There's a lot of legislation in progress to get the GI Bill to cover coding boot camps. Really cool. And, you know, every time I talk to somebody who is in the military and then went into tech, it's so clear why. Uh, and I think, Susan, your story just reinforces that. Do you think it's important to be a role model yourself um, after graduating from Flatiron? Absolutely. And that's why, given the opportunity to be an instructor, um, they had never had a female iOS instructor there before. And it was the perfect opportunity because I was like, wow, you know, I was taught by four men. And now all the women that come through this are going to see you know, a female iOS instructor. Like there were female web instructors, which is also very inspiring, but now it's like your teacher, you're actually going to hear and get the knowledge from another woman. And so you're gonna be like, yes, I can be like you. And when you share your story and you let them know, oh, I was in your seat a couple of months ago, and now you're looking at me like I have so much information and so much knowledge, and you have so much respect and, and, and you know, find that, you know, you can learn from me, that is really important to the students. And that's really important to other people. I've given talks at different meetups and I've spoken to a lot of college uh, age women about my experience um, with military, with tech, with everything. And I think that it, it really helps them because it's like, wow, like she was, she didn't know anything about, you know, developing and writing programs six months ago. And now she knows enough to teach people this stuff. So for them, I feel as though I have this, you know, deep desire to make sure that other people know, like, yeah, you're not doing anything like that right now. But guess what? I wasn't either. Like, and now it's been two years, but I wasn't either two years ago. You know what I mean? I was an office manager and a bookkeeper. I didn't know anything about writing programs. So it's super important to make sure that I, I get that message out to people. Amazing. Yeah, I think we can kind of put a lot of pressure on like women and people of color and underrepresented minorities to like be that kind of, you know, role model for others. But um, when when you really like embrace that role as a role model, it's so effective and um, so impactful to other to other people who are in your in your shoes. So cool. Well, Christy, I want to talk a little bit about um, Flatiron School and kind of use Flatiron as an example because you obviously work there, um, but kind of talk about boot camps in general here. Um, from an operations level, how does Flatiron create diverse cohorts? Like, is this an intentional process for y'all? Are you tracking it? Um, and how are you going about it? It's very much an intentional process, um, and we do track it. Um, I would say the the most obvious thing is our admissions process, and uh, the supporting factor to that is our people at, at Flatiron School as a whole. The, the more we have people here who are diverse themselves and who care about this as an issue, the more likely we are to have a strong culture for it, to have the right kinds of initiatives, and that constant iterative change that I was talking about earlier um, just becomes a part of the ingrained culture that's here, and we get more and more effective at it. You know, Susan was just talking about being our first 
female iOS instructor. Um, we think a lot about who are the role models on our faculty that students are looking to, to consider whether this is a school that they want to come to. Um, and it has been really hard to get a balanced faculty. And we have started doing things where we've, we've actually gone to women who were in a class that were clearly uh, very strong technically, who clearly had the aptitude and desire to, to be mentoring their peers and to be teaching. And we would speak to them early in, in, the, in, the, in the course to try to bring them into our, our teaching team over time because it was so important to us to, to try to bring women into the team. And our lead instructors are individuals who have had experience teaching but have also had real production experience. And so that's been really difficult for us to find women in that role as well. So an initiative that we recently started was actually taking some of our junior instructors and moving them onto our engineering team so they could have a full uh, rotation, an apprenticeship, where they can spend time working with the engineering team, getting production experience for the very reason to bring them back and become a, a lead instructor. So we're deeply investing in what our staff looks like and how that feels to students uh, externally because a big part of being able to bring and create diverse cohorts is just having people like Susan realize, whether it's subconsciously or explicitly, that this is a place that cares about creating a, a diverse environment and diverse cohorts. Um, on the admissions side, we have some different things that we think about, um, and there is where we're actually creating the class. And we think about admitting a group of people, not just admitting individual students. So we actually look at who we've already admitted into a cohort as we're admitting the uh, incremental students into that class. And we also look at the potential of a student. This is a really important thing, especially for underrepresented groups in tech. One of the other things that we've really identified is that certain groups of people, tend to be white men, um, are more likely to have had some experience in coding before they come to apply at a boot camp. And so there's, there's an easy trap you can fall into in assuming that because somebody has a little bit more experience, their aptitude is higher. So we actually spend a lot of our time focusing on potential and assessing how far an individual can go in our program, not just where they are today. So that might mean that we scale up the difficulty of an interview uh, of a code challenge for a student who's maybe had more experience coming in as compared to somebody who's had less. Okay, so that's in the admissions process. How do you approach like recruiting to get people into that pipeline? Are you like putting a certain percentage of your marketing budget towards creating a diverse class? Are you being intentional in that, um, that kind of pipeline? Yes, yeah, so we actually spend a lot of our time on initiatives. And I think you know, those people who might be close to Flatiron School or know about what we do probably feel this. Um, it's everything from our, our programming and the kinds of events that we host to content that we create and partners that we develop. All of this is done to create a voice and, and the kind of role modeling, whether it's through imagery, whether it's through speakers who come in, um, whether it's through a blog post, it's about trying to help increase the awareness and the confidence 
of underrepresented groups in tech that um, not only is this a career that they can achieve, and this is an education program they can be successful in, but they're going to be welcomed here, and it's a place where they can really thrive. Um, so that's really focused on just overall awareness and confidence building. But there's also the, the issue that I talked about earlier on um, just financial access. So we've also spent a lot of time developing scholarship funds, oftentimes with partners in the industry who care about uh, issues very deeply, whether it be veterans or LGBT or women-oriented scholarship funds. Um, and oftentimes, Flatiron School will devote resources directly ourselves towards these types of initiatives to increase access for underrepresented groups. Cool. Um, is there is there a like reputation for Flatiron that you try to promote? I'm kind of thinking in the beginning of boot camps, there was a school that embraced this kind of like Harvard of coding boot camps uh, status. And really, in reality, that can be kind of an exclusive reputation. Are you trying to position Flatiron School in a specific way? And like, where is that balance between having like a really great reputation um, and coming off as kind of exclusive? That is such a good question. And this is actually something that we talk about, not just within the teams who actually are directly responsible for our brand, but across our entire organization. Every department thinks about this very issue because I think what you're, you're describing, you're, the brand of a school is, is manifested through every experience that someone has, whether they call in on the phone, whether they come and do a campus tour, whether they're a student here, whether they're an alumni, whether they're receiving you know, career services support. So we all think about this issue a lot. And we very intentionally balance rigor with the warmth that is required for inclusion. And you know, it's important to us that our graduates enter the tech industry very prepared and ready to contribute because that is that is the core of what we are delivering to our students. We are telling them we're going to get you ready, you're going to launch your career, you're going to get a job in in this field. So it's important that we we do have that rigor that you're you're really talking about that tends to be associated with a very elite school. However, when you think of institutions known for their rigor, so you know Susan's from the military, that's that's an institution that's certainly known for their rigor. It's where the the name boot camp actually came from, or maybe Ivy League schools. You, I think you mentioned Harvard. You don't typically think about those same institutions as the ones that are pushing the boundaries on access and diversity and inclusion. In fact, they're elite, and by the very nature of that, they're excluding many, many people. And we want to do both. We think we can do both. And it's a healthy tension that we are working to balance in everything that we do. I do think that there's room for both. Um, in the media, you know, boot camps get pitched as having these super low acceptance rates. And I always kind of wonder if that's good or bad long term for boot camps as an industry. You know, the, the low acceptance rate is, is typically, I think, referred to um, for the in-person programs. And the, the in-person programs, you know, Susan went through this, this um, program. It's a very rigorous and challenging pace. It is a 15-week program. 
you are on campus, I mean, Susan could tell you about this, but you're here at a minimum from nine to six every single day. You're probably here a little early. You're probably here a little bit late. You're probably working on the weekends. You're giving up your life for that you know, three to four month period of time. And so for anyone who has anything else going on in their lives, whether it's maybe children that they have to take care of, maybe they can't afford to give up their job, maybe they, they learn at a different mm-hmm. pace and they just need to go slower. They need to repeat materials. Um, I think there is an opportunity for greater access while still having a rigorous program if, you can, if we can design programs that have more flexibility, that allow people to move through it based on what's going on in their life and their own learning styles. Um, but the, the, the boot camp model that was designed you know, four or five years ago is one that really is, is very rigid. And so I think that's the reason why the uh, admission rates have been, have been low today. Well, I do see a lot of cool scholarships and, you know, community outreach coming out of Flatiron School these days. Do you think, like, has Flatiron School always been, like, I guess, successful at this? Are you meeting your own goals right now? Well, I think we've always been committed to this since the founding. Maybe that's that's different than, than successful, but we've certainly always been committed, and I think that's where everyone has to begin. Um, and but we've had to change as the industry has changed. You know, when this started in you know, 2012, there weren't that many people that were interested in attending a, a boot camp program. There weren't that many people that knew about it. And so as the student body has become a lot more diverse, we've had to think about how to, how to serve these types of students. And you know, we've, we've both been actively encouraging diverse students to come in. And I think people are just a lot more aware of boot camps. So the student body has changed. So now we've got students who live in a rural area. And they actually take our online course. Um, you shouldn't be, you know, prohibited from getting access to these kinds of technical training skills because you live in Ohio and there isn't an in-person boot camp there. You should, you should be able to find a way to, to do this. We've, we've held programs to serve students who don't have a college degree, students who are foreign-born New Yorkers students who are low-income New Yorkers. And each of these students requires a different type of, of program, whether it's remote, online, self-paced. Some students have required more social services or job training. If you're someone who has not gone to college, if you're someone who has maybe not had a job before, you need a different kind of investment in professional job training than someone who has, you know, like Susan, who has, has gone to school, who has been a veteran for, for 10 years in, in the Navy. You know, she's learned so many skills through that kind of a work experience that a different kind of, of candidate just hasn't had. Even if they learn the same technical skills, it doesn't mean they're going to be prepared for their career. So when we think about succeeding at diversity, it means finding ways to serve all of these diverse types of, of student populations in a way that will help make them successful in their career. Christy, this is a question I'm really interested in. Do you think that scholarshiping is actually effective? I feel like every school now has a you know $500 scholarship for underrepresented minorities on their website. You know, is that like helpful in the slightest for a single mom who's trying to go to a coding boot camp? Yeah, so let me address scholarshiping specifically. Um, it absolutely makes a difference. 
absolutely makes a difference. We, we saw a pretty significant shift in our overall percentage of women represented in our online student body when we introduced some of our Women Take Tech scholarship programs. It made a significant difference in the number of women who just got started. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, there's a, there's a pay gap. We all talk about the fact that there's a 20% pay gap that, that still exists. There's also a wealth gap that exists. And so you can imagine over time, if women are making less money for a variety of different systemic reasons, there's eventually a wealth gap. And women also have more student debt than men. So there's, there's all those financial reasons that might prevent a woman, be barriers from a woman making the same decision that a man would make in, in a career change like this. But you layer on top of that, there's a confidence gap. There's been research done that shows women are, have a lower degree of confidence based on the same set of experiences as, as men. So when you compound those two things together, that women need to be more confident to think that they can be successful in a program like this, and they're facing greater financial constraints than, than men on a whole, um, I think pursuing scholarships for, for women like this as much as we can makes a ton of sense, and we've definitely seen it affect our, our overall student body. Well, yeah, and I guess there is a lot of difference between an intentional scholarship and like a $500 discount. Yes, that's that, that's a great point. And when we do a scholarship, we are very intentional about how we do it. So we'll typically try to do it with a partner because we believe it's important to wrap that scholarship with a number of different services. So for example, um, one group that we did uh, a partnership with last year was Birchbox. Birchbox has a very strong voice that a lot of women pay attention to. And so when Birchbox comes out, and it's the CEO of Birchbox, and it's the VP of engineering who happens to be a woman at Birchbox, and they are coming forward saying, we support women in tech, we want to support this as a cause, we want to create scholarships, and we're going to be on a panel, we're going to talk about what it's like to work in this, in this field, and we're going to mentor the women who come into this scholarship program because we, we not only want to increase the awareness of women coming into this field, we want to support them and help them thrive. And so we really try to be thoughtful about what we do when we scholarship and have a, a multi-pronged approach um, and, and really find women who are committed like, like Susan was. She's, she, she was passionate about this. She knew she was committed and she was going to be successful. And those are the people that we want to reward. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I, I guess there's a lot of difference between an intentional scholarship with partners and a $500 scholarship that just kind of, you know, sits on a school's landing page and that a student wouldn't even find until they've already, like, decided to apply. Susan, it's now been a couple of years since you started this journey. And in that time, you know, you've graduated from Flatiron School, you've taught at Flatiron School, you're now an iOS engineer at Spotify. Uh in that time, do you think you've seen the perceptions of who can and does work in tech actually change or evolve? So I think over the last two years, there's just been more effort and awareness. I think um, when I first started, I didn't realize 
the disparity between how many men and women are in the industry. And so when I started um, researching and going to meetups and talking to people, you just start to notice this stuff. But, I mean, over the last two years, there's tons of new women's groups that have, you know, popped up. Um, more efforts, you know, you, you just hear way more about companies going out and saying, hey, we realize there's a diversity problem and now we want to solve it. And I feel like, you know, since I've joined, um, there's much more of an effort and awareness about the problem and people wanting to solve for having a more diverse culture. And they realize the benefits of it, you know, having people from varied backgrounds, you're going to have varied solutions and who knows which one's the best one's going to be. So you want as many different solutions to a problem as you can have. And so if you want to be cutting edge tech, you have to have an extremely diverse across the board um, uh, engineering team or company in general. What's been your experience in the workplace as a woman at Spotify? Um, Do you think that tech companies in general, you know, and in your experience are doing enough to be inclusive right now? Um, I'm not so sure about other companies, but I do know at Spotify, it's a huge focus for us. We go through tons of training. Um, We uh, iterate on interviewing practices and hiring practices all the time to try and make sure we are picking the most diverse um, group of folks that we can. And so I just so happen to land in the place where it's extremely supportive. I mean, my manager, um, she's, a, she's a woman and she's been here for, you know, five, six years. She pretty much built um, the platform that, you know, I work on, uh, with like one other dev. So it's super inspiring. Some of the people here, you know, our leadership, you know, there's lots of female and lots of, you know, people of color and people that, you know, just aren't, you know, white dudes. That's not what this company is about. And so I think that it's comforting and I love talking to the other women because I feel so safe asking them questions and going up to them and making a fool of myself. Sometimes, when you're a female in the workplace, you feel as though you're not allowed to be vulnerable in front of guys and say, I actually don't know this. You know, you have to have way more confidence. You have to, you know, puff up yourself and be like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I got it. It's fine. You know, because you're worried that their perception of you as a woman in the workplace is going to be changed or validated if it's a negative one. Um, and that you're going to end up just perpetuating this stereotype. So, you know, as a female, I, I get worried about some, that sometimes, unless I have a, a really nice rapport with a person. But the women, I just, I feel like I can ask really dumb questions to, and we, and they're super supportive, and they never make me feel dumb. So even when I'm not at work, and I'm at meetups, and I'm talking to people, I feel as though I have a tremendous amount of support from you know, women, and I go to a women's meetup that have men there, you know, because they want to support women. They're like, we think that this is really great, that this exists. We want to be a part of it too. We want to help. We want to support. And that's really encouraging. And I love that. Yeah. It's really good to know that in the real world, there are companies that aren't just like aware of the issue, but have even advanced beyond that. So that's cool. I would agree with you though, that like most companies right now are in this phase where they are starting to track diversity and becoming aware of like the lack of diversity on their teams, which is a really important step. 
Um, but I'm curious, you know, boot camps now are graduating like 25,000 developers a year. That is certainly not insignificant, um, but it's not, <laughs> it's not millions. So I think it would be naive to think that, you know, boot camps could completely solve this diversity problem in tech. Like if we make boot camp classrooms super diverse, then that's going to, you know, solve something in tech. But they're definitely a, a talent pipeline. So do y'all think, um, Susan and Christy, that coding boot camps have like a responsibility or an imperative to uh, help fix that diversity problem in tech, like in tech jobs? I think that um, one of the big things that Christy mentioned was, you know, having this ability to be nimble as a boot camp and um, course correct anything. So I feel as though boot camps, um, they, they, have this, uh, they have this ability to pivot really quickly. And I think that that's really important when it comes to diversity. So they can course correct, you know, oh my gosh, there's not enough women. Oh my gosh, there's not enough people of color. Oh my gosh, there's not enough veterans. We can go out and seek those people. Boot camps can go out and seek those people and make sure that they are injecting whoever whoever they are injecting is going to help solve the problem and not make it worse. I think I think that's exactly right. You know, boot camps, as you said, Liz, boot camps can't can't fix it alone. But this is a problem that a lot of organizations and people are working together and have to work together to solve. And I think what boot camps do have a responsibility for is to establish a culture that their graduates will take with them when they head into the tech industry. And, you know, these new tech citizens can have such an opportunity to affect culture over time as they become managers and directors and they they build out their own teams. In fact, we, you know, we're constantly, we've, we've got people here who care so much about this. We're constantly thinking about new things that we can do to reach new people to come into our, our program. And we just launched this new scholarship um, for model tech citizens. And we really, we did a survey out to our alumni and we said, what helps you thrive? What are barriers to your success? And we really tried to isolate some things that we felt like everybody can do. You know, Susan was talking about men being allies and advocates, showing up at, at meetups. That's the kind of tech citizen that we want to have in you know, the next five years. We want that to be the majority of what's taking place. And I think that boot camps have a, a unique opportunity to draw those kinds of people into our programs and send them out into the tech industry. Yeah, I love that. I remember talking to a boot camp grad like three years ago, and I we knew that you know 40% of boot camp grads were women at that time too but I was like why do you think this hasn't you know made a huge wave in the tech industry and she was like well we're all still junior developers right and that was three years ago um and now boot camps are like maturing the graduates are growing in their careers they're like Susan two years into their career and I think we'll start to see those junior developers become team leads and like real thought leaders and um, and really start to have an impact uh, going forward. So I also think that universities are being impacted or are at least keeping an eye on and like uh, 
thinking about coding boot camps too. So I wonder if like CS departments will start to be influenced by the culture of boot camps. I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> kind of <laughs> along those same lines. Um, you know, coding boot campers right now are primarily career changers. They have seven to ten years of of uh, work experience before they get into tech. I'm curious as you know, K-12 gets these like mandates for computer science education and we start to see tech in, in schools more often. Do you, do y'all see a world where people like graduate from high school and they are prepared for a program like Flatiron School? Like, do you think that that will start to kind of help this pipeline issue? Well, I think there's, there's two separate issues to what you're talking about is a high school student prepared for right. a boot camp is is somewhat separate from is CS education even being taught in K-12 because of these mandates. So unfortunately, it's it's not yet being widely integrated into K-12, despite these mandates that have come out in many states, New York being one of them. The biggest barrier is actually teacher mm-hmm. training. We just don't have teachers who can actually, um, who, who know enough about CS uh, to, to teach it. And then we also have to think about how we can teach CS as an integrated curriculum because our students' days are actually so full of existing programs that it's really challenging to fit it in. But I do think we'll get there. We have a lot of great minds and organizations who are committed to it, and I'm excited to see how it'll continue to affect interest in the tech industry as a whole. Um, and in terms of, you know, can a high school graduate come straight into a boot camp? I mean, we're, we think all the time about the, the future of higher ed. And the model today isn't ideal for that student. Um, you know, if you take somebody like Susan, who had 10 years in, in the military, I think it makes a ton of sense for someone like that to come. Like if, if I don't know, Susan, what your educational background was, but if you'd gone straight from high school into the military, straight into a boot camp, um, you would have been completely successful because you had all of this real-world experience that you had gained through your, your professional time in, in the military. Um, taking someone straight from high school into a program like this without that kind of experience is more difficult to be successful today. Um, but I think that we're going to see some, some real evolutions happening with higher ed over the next 10 years where we will see a lot more iterative approaches to higher ed, where you could take a high school student, put them in something for six months, and then give them a real-world experience, and then bring them back into an educational Mm -hmm. environment. Uh, I I think we're going to see a lot of modifications in the way in which uh, higher ed is really broken down into its components and thought of in a very different way from what, what we think is a singular path today. Well, if our listeners haven't heard, Flatiron School was recently acquired by WeWork, which is a huge network of co-working spaces around the world. We're in a WeWork right now. Uh, Christy, what does this mean for growth and how will it help or maybe even present a challenge to the diversity mission at Flatiron School? Well, we're very excited about it. Um, You know, if you take a look at what our mission is. Flatiron's mission is to enable the pursuit of a better life through education. That's a pretty exciting thing to have the opportunity to work on every day. Um, And WeWork's mission is to create a world where people make a life 
not just a living. I think Maya Angelou actually um, had had made a quote to that extent one day. And so, you know, when you think about our two organizations, there's really an incredible alignment when you when you get down to the core of who we are and what our North Star is, even though you might initially just look at that as a co-working business and a boot camp business. What we are setting out to achieve is very much aligned and in fact I think has an incredible opportunity to enhance each other. You know, we both see a world where the the walls that exist today between work and learning, we were just talking about this a minute ago, I think those walls will begin to deteriorate and we'll finally be able to deliver on the promise of lifelong learning that we've been talking about for 10, 15 years, but I don't think we've actually delivered on that promise yet. And the, the historical distinction that we've had, you know, when, when MOOCs first launched uh, 10 years ago, we've had this historical distinction between in-person education, the traditional definition of a boot camp, and online education, what you might think of as a Udacity, right? I think those distinctions will begin to blur, and we're going to have an opportunity to create more dynamic learning experiences by taking advantage of the excellence in physical community and, and operations that WeWork has and the knowledge that Flatiron has for learning experiences. And you know, in terms of our growth, we're very excited to, to grow um, and do it in the right way. We've always been very thoughtful about how we've grown. I think we've, we've done it differently than uh, many of the other, other people in this space. We've always wanted to make sure that we have the right resources to maintain a high bar for our student success. And we, we're really excited about the partner that we have in WeWork to help us grow in the right way and help more people find the skills and the career that they love. Yeah, I definitely agree that Flatiron has grown differently than other schools. You know, y'all never went down the, you know, after the land grab and you kind of grew this online community into something really interesting. So it'll be cool to see how y'all do grow and expand now. Well, Susan, you are such an amazing role model. It's been really nice to meet you. I feel like other women and folks in the military are so lucky to have you as an inspiration. Thank you. That's really that's really nice and encouraging to hear from someone. Uh, if you could give advice to someone interested in getting into tech or even going to a coding boot camp, what would it be? I think that um, it depends on where you are, right? So if you currently have a job, I mean, when I made the decision, I had just been laid off and needed to figure something out. Um, if you want to find out if tech is right for you, you can go online and, you know, talking about the MOOCs and stuff like that, like you can go online and take a quick HTML, CSS course and build something. And either you're going to feel amazing and inspired by that to continue, or you're going to be like, this wasn't that great. I didn't have that much fun and I don't like this. It's really easy to figure out if this is for you or not. And if you find out that it is for you, and you do go forward with it, just don't ever stop and don't ever give up. There's one thing, we used to run um, uh, physical fitness assessments in the military, and one of the things that they used to tell us is, just don't stop running and you'll pass. So many people would stop running and they'd be like, you're going to fail because you have X amount of minutes to do this in. If you never stop running, you'll make it in time. And I've always thought about that, you know, in terms of, 
the career change that I did and wanting to learn this and deciding it was for me, I just never stopped running. I always kept pushing forward. Even if it seemed like I was falling flat on my face, I still kept on moving forward and I still kept on going with it. So my pieces of advice are figure out if it's for you. And once you figure out that you're inspired and you have a passion for it, go for it and then don't look back and don't ever stop because no matter how hard it is, in the end, you're going to get it and you're going to accomplish it. I'm fired up to start running somewhere. Right? I know, I know, I know. I'm sitting (laughs) down right now. I gotta go. (laughs) Wow. Well, I cannot think of a more inspiring place to end this episode. Thank you so much, Susan and Christy, for joining us and talking about what boot camps can do to build diverse classrooms. It was really cool to think about this both from like an alumni's perspective and also from an operational perspective. So could not have done it without you two. Well, that's our show. Just a reminder that this podcast is available transcribed in full on our website and we love feedback. So email me at hello at coursereport.com. Let me know who you'd like to hear from on the next Course Report podcast. And if you enjoyed this one, please, please, please help other future boot campers find it. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the Course Report podcast and leave a review. And remember Susan's advice, just keep running.